church. Great to be together. It's great to hear from uh, old friends and brothers in the Lord. Marty, it's great to hear from him this morning. And uh, it's just great to be family. I bring you greetings from the uh, American Leadership Conference that uh, the full-time staff was at this past week out in Boston. And it was a fantastic time to be with all the New England churches as well as the church leaders from throughout the United States. And we gathered up to uh, strengthen, encourage one another, share good news, uh, and really be prepared for the great work that God has in store for the rest of this decade. And I'm here to tell you that uh, the, the state of our churches is better than it's been in years. It is across the globe. Our churches are growing. Across the United States, our churches are growing. Uh, there's news throughout the United States of churches being planted, of old ministers who had left the ministry going back into the ministry, of new aspiring young ministers wanting to raise up and go out and start churches and be a part of campus ministry plantings and be a part of of new established churches. And, And there's a spirit of strengthening the smaller churches in our fellowship who have been weak for years and are now getting stronger. So it's awesome to be a part of our family of churches across the United States. Amen. Today, the title of the lesson in line with our theme for the year, and we're closing out the year, of course, but it's been a great year of transformation, right? And I'm going to talk today about having a transformed heart. Uh, And really, I have one point today, and that's just simply that we all need a transformed heart, and not just one time in our life. You need it all the time. Let's go to God in prayer, and we'll study the Word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, this time to gather and worship with friends, with family, with neighbors, with with just new people we're meeting. Father, thank you so much for our worship time, our singing, uh, the opportunity to be together and look in each other's eyes and encourage each other's spirits. And thank you, God, that you are working across the United States, that you are working across the Inland Empire. Father, you're working right here in this room. And we ask that you would be here in a powerful way, open our hearts, uh, help us to transform Help us to be the people we need to be for you. And we ask that you'll bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I had a heart problem, a physically, uh, physical heart problem. I had a heart problem spiritually, too, years ago. And, and even today, always got to work on that heart. But I want to share about my physical heart problem. Uh, for years growing up, I loved sports, but I had this thing called a uh, paroxysmal atrial tachycardia. Anybody know what that is? Any doctors out there? If you know what that is. Okay, well, I had, I would be playing in like a Pop Warner football games and I would be the running back, you know, trying to score a touchdown. I'd get tackled and my heart would go from a normal, you know, maybe a physical activity, 140 beats a, a minute to instantly would just go to like 240 beats a minute instantaneously. Even when I was resting and I'd calm down, my heart was going, it was just beating and I was like, you know, I, I was almost going to pass out. This would happen from like age seven, basically up until I was in my early 30s. And it affected my sports ability, unfortunately. At times, I just have to come out of an event and there's nothing I could do. And then just as quickly as it started beating that fast, uh, it would all of a sudden go from beating like boom, boom, back to normal. And it scared my parents, to say the least. It scared my wife later, too, when she learned about it. She's like, that's a worrisome condition. And I had gone to see all the best doctors uh, early in my life. To, you know, I went to the children's hospitals throughout uh, you know, the, the place where I lived at the time on the East Coast in, in downtown Philadelphia, this renowned children's hospital. They gave me all kinds of medications. They said it's very common and there's really no solution. 
So, you know, I just lived with it. Well, when I came to the Inland Empire and I met Mo Bashar, who was one of the ministers here, he was also a heart doctor. And I, this is in my early 30s. And he goes, uh, I started telling him about, I said, oh, what do you do in the area, the field of working on hearts? He said, well, I'm a, a specialist in the electrical side. I said, oh, I have a problem. And I told him my problem. He says, you know, there's been a cure for that for the last 10 years. I said, what? <laughs> he says, and I'm the specialist. I said, sign me up. And I went on in to a Good Samaritan Hospital in L.A. And Mo Bashara cured that heart condition that I had. It was awesome. I've been, I've been totally fine. Totally fine since then, for the last, yeah, it's been 12 years roughly now. And I had my heart transformed in a great way, in a physical sense. But I realized that, you know, we need our hearts transformed in a spiritual way, for sure, initially, right? Because all of our hearts go astray in a terrible way. But we also need our hearts transformed in a spiritual way on a regular basis. You know, according to the Bible, the heart is the center of not only our spiritual activity, but really of all operations of human life. And the, the heart really is the home of our personal life. You know, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's where your energy, it's where your attention lies. It's what you're focused on. It's the way you act and it's the way you, you live. You know, a man is characterized according to his heart. You know, we find in First Kings that that uh, God had given Solomon a, 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 he said, I'm going to give you a wise and discerning heart. And of course, Solomon was known for his wisdom. You know, we see in, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You know, in the Psalms, we find in Psalm 78 verse uh, 72, uh, it, it says there that David had integrity of heart. He was known for his integrity of heart. And then in Luke chapter 8, at the end of the parable of the sower, it says right in there that those with a noble and good heart hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a harvest. And so we are at this time and throughout our lives characterized by the kind of heart you have. But sadly, we find in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, the scriptures teach that every inclination of a man's heart is evil from childhood, that, that we're always going astray, right? That we're wicked in our heart. That there's a, a side of us that just, it just rages against what is right and wants what it wants. And then we also find in Jeremiah 17, and you can turn there, or I, Mike might put it up there. Okay, turn to Jeremiah 17. And we find in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the passage about, it's a very um, daunting passage. It's kind of scary to think about. And in verse 9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Now, I don't like that beyond cure portion. I think that um, it's in there. There is ultimately a cure, but our heart needs the medicine all the time. Who can understand the heart? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. To reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. What kind of heart do we have this morning? What kind of heart do you have? What is in your heart? How would you be characterized this morning based upon the kind of heart that you have? You know, we all 
need a transformed heart. My heart was defined by self-gratification and self-glorification in my earliest days. And I would dare say most of us, that defines us. We grow up desiring to be gratified and glorified. And our heart yearns for these things. And the only one who's really okay with being glorified all the time is God himself. And if we seek gratification and glorification as our primary motive in life, and we use the world standards, our heart will become hard and resistant. I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and we find there an indicator of a hard heart. Where are you this morning? We don't want to have a hard heart. we got to have a soft heart, a responsive heart, a spiritual heart, a transformed heart. Where are you this morning? Hebrews chapter 3, writing to the church. These are people, you know, this letter was written really to those who had who'd found out about Jesus. And yet, the first time you undergo a transformation is not the last time you should undergo a transformation. Verse 7 of Hebrews 3 says, so as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, it is a battle in your heart taking place. A battle to have a, a soft, responsive heart. A noble heart to be characterized by integrity and purity so that you can see God against the forces of deceit and self-gratification and glorification. You know, on, on Friday night we had the, uh, the preteen devotional. It was great to have it up at a, a park and rancho and had 19, you know, uh, 9, 10, 11 year olds, 12 year olds out playing sports. And we, 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 we quoted one scripture to them that we need to encourage one another daily. So that we will not get a hard heart. And I, I asked, you know, do any of you ever get discouraged about things? All the hands went up. Right? All of us undergo discouragement throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the year. And we need to fight off the discouragements that comes from sin's deceitfulness. Encouragement opens our eyes up to truths. And we've got to fight the hardness of heart. What are some indicators of hardness of heart? Well, one thing that evidences a hard heart... Is when we take sin lightly. If you take sin lightly or you have a partial acknowledgement of sin. The kind of thing where you kind of, ah, uh, you think about it a little, but then you like to sweep it under the carpet. You take sin lightly because your heart is hard. And the lighter you take it, the harder your heart becomes. And it becomes a cycle 
of resistance to sin. You know, in the campus ministry, one of the biggest sins that we have to battle is just just visual uh, lust, sexual lust, sexual temptation. Not only in the campus ministry, I would dare say in America, I would dare say in Western, uh, you know, civilization. We struggle with that visual desire. And what we teach the campus guys is that you have got to take this sin serious. If you don't take it serious, you will become an addict. As dangerous an addiction as any narcotic. We know with the advent of internet pornography how damaging it is. And so we talk to the brothers. We say, listen, you got to talk about the sin, not only when it occurs, but even at the temptation level. Even when the thought of even being tempted comes in your mind, I want you to go home to the brother's household, tell him, hey, I, you know, I saw this girl, I was tempted to look in this way or think this thought. I want to get this off my chest. I want to, I want to clear my conscience. If you don't do that, you'll become hard-hearted and ingrained in our disgusting, ungodly, impure culture. And all you have to do is watch any TV program. And boom, you're like, wow, everything is, is just so vulgar. It's a darkness. And, you know, all of us, we live in this culture. I guarantee if you don't regularly fight for a soft and transformed heart, you will get hardened to sin's deceitfulness. No partial confession. You can tell when a person has not really repented. Because they're not easy, eager to come clean. They're not eager to clear themselves, as Second Corinthians 7 says. When you're hard-hearted, you just, you just don't put yourself out there. You're afraid. And the cycle of hardness is, has begun to creep into your heart, and it will destroy your life. You know, other indicators are pride and our conceit. As we grow older, it's very easy to get more and more prideful. Now, the truth is, as you grow older, you should get more humble because you keep seeing more in depth how sinful you are. And oftentimes that is the case. The older you get, you start to see, oh, I'm a mess. But also you get older and you start, you start thinking you deserve more. That you know something. And pride can enter our hearts. Independence can enter our hearts. We forget the simple things that, you know, we're, we're an interdependent congregation. We're not, we're not just dependent on each other. And we're not independent of each other. We're an interdependent. We need each other. At every stage of your life, you need other people on a regular basis. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with just your, your weekly schedule? Think through your weekly schedule. How much input do you get on it? Think about your monthly schedule, your annual schedule. You know, uh, Marty talked about the conference next year in San Antonio. Let me just bring that up. What an incredible event that's going to be. And, you know, we have campus conferences and campus retreats and singles conferences and singles retreats and marriage conferences and marriage retreats. Incredible events going on. But oftentimes, we hear about these things, we're a collective body, we're interdependent, we're about building and changing the world, and yet we don't even think to get input on whether we should go or be a part of it or what it's all about or would it be helpful. We just think, oh, I got this problem, I'm doing my own thing. I want to bring this up because I want to see the entire congregation in San Antonio. Amen. And it isn't going to be easy to get there. Some of you haven't even, haven't even thought about going. You immediately thought, I can't go. It's a what I've been a disciple. Actually, yesterday was my 21st spiritual birthday. Amen. I've been a disciple 21 years. In my 21 years, we've not had a world 
conference the way we're having it next year, ever. We've not gathered, you know, we've had leaders all around the world, but we've never had all the disciples invited from the teens, the campus, the singles, the marrieds, the Spanish, all over the world, as many as possible. We want to fill up where the San Antonio Spurs play basketball. They hold about 18,000. I'm hoping that it's just overflowing, over 20,000. I believe even more can come. But you don't want to miss it. Are you thinking, are, are, are you hard-hearted in your scheduling? Or are you willing to be interdependent, connected? What you do affects everybody else. We've got to have the heart that wants to be connected in that way. You know, sometimes we get a, a strong talking to. You know, we get, we get shown a scripture that really cuts us, but you know, we forget it one day later. We ignore it. It's a sign of a hard heart. You know, it's like the parable of the, of the you know, the sower, right? The second heart received the word. A couple of days later, though, you know, persecution, difficulty, it's kind of hard. You forget it. How are you doing it persevering? Persevering and growing through the hard talks you had. Real change takes hard work. We've got to break through the hardness. You know, the biggest thing that, that starts the hardness of heart is bitterness, isn't it? Bitterness. And where does bitterness come when you feel wrong, when you feel mistreated? And, you know, how do you get mistreated? Well, when you have, you know, total commitment to each other, like in the bond of marriage, it's easy to get hurt. Right, marriage? It's easy to feel hurt. And we become unyielding when we feel hurt. And we get that anger, and some of us have that a little bit more passion than others. And some of us are a little bit more calm, and that's a good thing. It gets us through those tough times. Some of us, we have this anger, and it just boils up, and we start saying stuff that we would never have thought we'd say. We cause wounds that can't be repaired, or that take years of healing. How's your marriage? Marrieds out there, how you really doing? How honest? How real? How humble? How transformed in heart toward one another are you lately? We've got the marriage retreat coming up. I hope you're prepared to be a part of that. But marriage, we, we can't be hard-hearted toward one another. We've got to believe there's hope no matter where we've gone. No matter what's going on, there is hope. You know, we want to have the noble and good heart, right? Let's turn to, to Luke chapter 8, verse 15. We want to have the, the, the noble and good heart. That's what we're shooting for. And in Luke chapter 8, we find Jesus in, in sharing the parable of the sower. I just I like a couple things we can get from this. Some great insights from Luke 8 verse 15. We see in that passage that it says, The seed... On good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. All right, so what are the indicators of that? Don't we all want to have a noble and good heart? That's the goal, to be transformed, to keep your heart noble and good. Well, it's those who hear the word. That's good. You guys came to church today. I commend you. Okay, you're hearing the word. Are you reading your Bible? You know, you got to read your Bible. The noble and good heart is in the word. There's just nothing like digging in the word, right? You, it just opens your mind up. Sometimes you got to just read a couple verses and meditate. Sometimes you just got to read full volumes of it and just, just take in whole books of the Bible. A noble and good heart hears the word, retains it. It sticks, accepts it, hears the truth. And doesn't let it shake out of their heart. See, the truth will transform. 
and by persevering produces a crop. A noble and good heart. God wants every one of us to have a noble and good heart, and yet sadly we don't. Sadly, we don't have the kind of hearts oftentimes that we need to have. And God intends for us to get a new heart and a new spirit. And you know, I want to share with you, you know, God has been dealing with the human hearts since the beginning of mankind, working on mankind, and his plan has been the same for generations. Let's go into the Old Testament a little bit and look at how he dealt with some hearts. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, we find there, it's a time when the, the nation has been overrun by you know, ungodly people. And the faithful, godly people have been taken captive. They're in a foreign land. And things are difficult for them. And Ezekiel is preaching and talking to them and explaining to them. God's intention is for them to have a new heart. And yet, unfortunately, they don't quite get it. And I want, to, I want you to see there in Ezekiel chapter 18... And we see in, let's go to the very end, let's go to the very end for now, verse 30. He says, therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God wants us all to have transformed hearts. He wanted me to have a transformed heart when I was living in just debauchery and self-gratification and lust and drunkenness and, and Americanized greed. And the same thing with you. But you know, he wants that throughout your life. And, you know, to have a transformed heart, it's going to take two things. It's going to take truth and it's going to take grace. See, the truth makes us wake up and see our need for God, makes us see our need, makes us see our hardness of heart. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1 now. Look with me in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. What was their issue? Well, you know, life was difficult for them. And in their heart of hearts, they wanted to blame the circumstances. You know, the proverb had developed because there was some truth in it. You know, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Yes, God had disciplined the nation of Israel because of the bad hearts and actions of the nation. And those now living there were having some trouble. But God says, you know, but each individual will be held accountable for his actions. And true peace, true happiness, true fulfillment, which comes in eternity, will be apportioned individually, not on a group level. So the soul who sins is the soul that will die. The soul who sins will be held accountable. Each individual 
And yet the people in that generation, not unlike our generation, like to blame the circumstances. We feel like the circumstances are causing my problems. The circumstances around me are the issue. And they are not the issue. Your heart is the issue. It's never the circumstances. Because every circumstance has a right response. You put Jesus in that circumstance, he'll solve the problem. You put Jesus in that circumstance, and he's going to create fruitfulness out of that situation. And we're all sorts of different circumstances in here. But where's your heart at? Are you willing to hear the truth? Step one, they need to just hear the truth. You got to be willing to hear the truth. Sometimes you just got to open yourself and ask people to tell you the truth. Why am I having struggles in my marriage? Why am I having struggles in my life? Why are things not going the way I really wish they would go? And oftentimes you're disciplined for really no fault of your own. God's just always testing our faith. But a lot of times there is a direct correlation to your circumstance now because of choices you've made earlier. The point God's trying to make is each of us has to take responsibility. And he didn't like that proverb. He said, I want that said in the land. Because I'm a fair and just God. And I care about every soul individually. And you're not where you're at spiritually because of any circumstances. You know what he goes on? He tells them the truth. He tells them the truth about some circumstances in their life. And you know, when we're told the truth, it can change us in a radical way, can it? Sometimes it's just the truth of who there, that there is a God. Sometimes it's the truth of what it means to follow God. And, you know, he goes on to explain some of the truths they needed to understand. Let's look at those. All right. Let's look in verse five. He says, suppose there's a righteous man who does what is just and right. So he's telling us, here's the things you need to do to do, be just and right. He says he does not eat at mountain shrines or look at the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or lie with a woman during her period. He does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He does not lend at usury or take excessive interest. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between man and man. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. Suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood and does any of these other things and goes through the list again of those sins, those sins of, that are true about life. And I started thinking, here was the sins of their generation. What were they? Well, they ate at the mountain shrines. What does that mean? You know, they were worshiping false things. They had false religion in their culture, false idols, even amongst, it says, even the idols of Israel, even within the teachings of Israel, even within their, their own supposedly right teachings, they had false idols. False teaching is rampant. And it's, it's attacking your mind every day in our generation. You know, the battle across the globe, you know, we've shared before, is, is, is really, it's a simple battle for Jesus. Most of the world doesn't have any idea who Jesus is. In America, we have an idea who he is. So instead, Satan throws at us 33,000 different denominations of Christianity. And then we become very weak-willed and complacent in what we think it means to be a Christian. We get confused. And we get watered down. And easy believism, American Christianity, just destroys our convictions. And we talked several times about the radical nature that God is calling us to. The radical commitment he is calling us to. But are you stuck in a false religion? 
You might be sitting in the pew this morning, and I want to preach the right teachings of Jesus. But you know, when our hearts are hard, we start believing false teachings. Teachings of comfort. You know, the other sins are pretty straightforward. You know, sexual sins, right? Not paying back debts. Welcome to our generation. Nope. Greedy. Judging in unfair ways. Selfishness. And not generous. Generous. Not willing to really live sacrificially. And I started thinking, well, what are the sins of 2011? It was the same as back then, right? The same as 550 B.C., give or take. Same sins 2,500 years later. Where are you at today? What kind of heart do you have? See, God's plan is if you'll hear the truth, and you need to invite that truth in. Some of us, we need to make the decision. I want to ask for some help and hear the truth. I want to ask for some help about my life and where I'm at because I want to change. You know, I don't want us to end this year without real transformation. We need real transformation. A woman in India heard the story about these, these, these disciples who wouldn't give up on their dad. And at the last minute, their dad was baptized on their deathbed. Well, these women heard the story. They heard the truth. And they realized their own cousin was about to die. And they had given up preaching the word. They came home from that sermon Went straight to her deathbed, opened the Bible, and and just kept preaching and teaching and sharing. She was baptized one day before she passed on to heaven. The truth can transform us and motivate us. But you know, the other thing we need is grace. I love the teaching in here that really, if you've sinned before, and turn with me now to verse in chapter 18. Look in verse 21. If a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. You see, if you turn, he's talking about eternal life. You're going to have grace. And I want to close out with just a great picture of God's grace for all of us to consider as you evaluate where your heart is at. Let's show that first picture, Mike. Here's a car, a truck, driving on Highway 100 in Arizona. Going 70 miles an hour, it was going from the left to the right. And it crashed through the the rail, flipped head over head, landed backwards facing the opposite direction. Two drivers in it had bumps and bruises, no injury. They They were flying around that curve, flew off that thing, flipped all the way over and facing the opposite direction. See, they were going that way, you know, and they ended up facing the opposite direction. Well, look at the next picture. That's where their truck landed. Every one of us needs to respond to the grace of God. We're on the edge of death. But for the grace of God in our lives. Let's have transformed hearts. Amen. Love you guys.